Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by my buddy. Wherever he goes, I go too. Now let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Frey House Pies. Enjoy the best meat pies of the North by the Frey Sons. They really put their heart into it. Welcome everyone to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a show where we like to dissect, discuss movies, and approach it from a filmmaker's point of view, which I I like that word, filmmaker. I think it's, for one, every once in a while I'll have someone introduce me as a videographer, and that's... yeah. That's yeah. like acid on my face. I don't. I know they don't I mean, mean anything by it. Obviously, yeah, it's not say. like malintent or anything. Yeah. But there's just a difference, and I generally try to tell people like, "Well, I'm a I'm a filmmaker. Oh, what's the difference?" And I'm like, "It's like calling a chef a cook. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with being a cook, and there's nothing wrong with being a videographer. Like, they have a different skill set that I don't really have. Like, being able to go shoot a wedding or a, a conference." That takes a specific skill set, and for me, being a filmmaker, I like to control my set so that <laughs> if I need a second take, I don't have to say, hey, bride, can you say I do one more time? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just a nightmare. And so a chef, though, is preparing an experience for you, right? He's, like, mm-hmm, coming mm-hmm. at it from a, a, a holistic point of view, like, how can I make something just for, you know, tonight or for that's going to speak to from beginning to end, they're going to have this, this experience of, you know, a four course thing. But the other cool thing I like about the word filmmaker is it can actually encompass such a wide set of skills. Like you might be a writer editor. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say, yeah, you know what? You're, you're still a filmmaker, not necessarily to the degree that I generally think of a filmmaker as not like making the film. Yeah. But yeah. But that's still the such film a, would not be made without you. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty all encompassing thing. I wouldn't necessarily apply it to everybody, but I, I really like just for one, for people to know the difference of why, you know, we call ourselves filmmakers as opposed to uh, videographers specifically. I don't know. I, I think that people, because I use that term sometimes, and yeah. I think that, I think that people like use that term because it, it, it's usually in reference to uh, a piece that somebody has made or is making that is not a film. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, what is a film? Is it a movie? Because if you're not shooting a short film or a film movie. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like the, the like it's where's that delineation maker. You yeah. know, like what does that mean? I mean and I, I honestly think, I mean, the the definition really is pretty much anything, sure. right? Like, yeah, it could be anything, but but more colloquially, know. you're like, I just think you're as filmmakers, we're trying to create like from nothing an experience. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, instead of just, oh, I'm going I'm to go capture something right, but that's so, happening. Right, but so that term really is, is it's, it's reference, like you reference yourself as that, mm-hmm. hence you are that. Yeah, true. Right? Yeah. Right? But other people wouldn't necessarily know unless you, they hear you referencing yourself as a filmmaker. Yeah. Right? Like I say I'm a cyclist, but there are plenty of people who ride bikes who don't call themselves cyclists. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Right? There is a certain level that you have to consider yourself at uh, or other people have to consider you at by seeing your talents at said thing to call you a filmmaker, a chef, a cyclist, a like you have to earn that. No, right? that's. A, I think that's a really good point too. There is, you definitely have to earn it. But I also think for the average Joe, like my friends who run their own businesses and they're like i think part of it is a lack of vocabulary not just a lack of understanding which it's also that but there's also just a uh, lack of vocabulary because they think yeah well if i need pictures i call a photographer if i need video i need a videographer it's just like this bastardization (laughs) or this this reduction (laughs) but i like it i like that i like having those conversations when when it does happen Mm -hmm. just to put a picture in someone's mind of 
think more creatively about me. Like what I'm doing is not just a guy with a camera who's looking to run out and can do anything that you need in the blink of an eye. Like there's thought that goes into it. There's thought beforehand, there's thought after, and there's a lot of thought, especially on the Mm -hmm. day. And this doesn't happen by accident. And I think a lot of people are so used to Instagram and the way things just magically kind of, oh, I got my camera, my phone camera, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to take a snapshot and it looks great. You can do that with your video camera, right? You can... That thing that I just saw you post, you can make that for me, right? Uh, yeah, I really think, yeah, <laughs> I really think it is the you hit the nail on the head. The photographer, yeah. videographer, it, it just, only just occurred to it me. Just I'm goes, like, this is why that happens. Yeah, it it just goes hand in hand because I think a lot of videographers consider themselves uh, filmmakers. Yeah, too. I mean, you know, if I'm if I'm going to shoot a wedding, I want to make a film for them. I want to. I would be hope, an experience, but right? from my experience. A lot of those guys do call them. And maybe that's why (laughs) I'm not a videographer. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. That's awesome. What What are we doing today? (laughs) Uh, Today we are covering Man on Fire. So if you've not uh, seen that movie, please pause the episode, go watch it, and then come back to us. Um, There will be spoilers galore. Heck to the yeah. We're going to talk about a lot of things, editing for sure, uh, performances. Have to. And I also want to talk about writing. Like uh, this is one of those rare films. I'm not going to really talk about cinematography. I want to cool. really dive a little bit into like the writing it. and how writing for drama or writing drama for film can differ from writing drama for TV. Yeah. And many other things. And, and stuff. <laughs> and stuff. Uh, so a quick synopsis of the film. Again, if you haven't seen it, pause, go watch it, come back. Uh, in Mexico City, a former assassin swears vengeance on those who committed an unspeakable act against the family he was hired to protect. Directed by Tony Scott. Screenplay by Brian Hel- Helgeland. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Based on a novel by A.J. Quinnell. Um, a cinematography by Paul Cameron. Featuring Denzel Washington as John Creasy. Dakota Fanning as Lupita Ramos. Rada Mitchell as Lisa Ramos. Christopher Walken as Paul Rayburn and Mark Anthony as Samuel Ramos. You all right? I didn't hurt you. Hi. <laughs> all right, your mother's waiting for you. She's right down here on the end of the bridge. Okay, you go home. Where are you going? for you I got the last number too I love you crazy you love me don't you yes I do with all my heart be to go so much sometimes I felt like I had nothing to give her just um, I don't know what to do what are you gonna do what I do best I'm gonna kill him anyone I was involved anybody who profited from it anybody who opens their eyes at me Music, please. Oh God! <laughs> well, I, I know we want to talk about performances, and and you can start wherever you want. Day. There's so many things. I know, right? But I, I just because I didn't watch anything that you just played. I'm just listening to it. Yeah. And so I'm uh, same. I I couldn't find. There were so many sections I wanted to use from this movie. I was like, I got to make my own. You match thing up. Here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it's cool because you picked two of my favorite moments. Ooh. Totally, totally. <laughs> when he said he's going to kill them all, and she said, "Do it." Uh, I, that I, I beat was kicks like, in. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was just like this little like nasty guitar. <laughs> It was just a perfect moment for that one little thing. That one time is perfect moment in that. And then, you know, it has this. And then the the first clip that you played uh, was the the ending, obviously. And it has this very, what is it? um, Tribal? I don't know. No, no, no. Uh, Well, I was thinking Gladiator. 
feel, you know? No, and it totally is that. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same soundtrack because you have to remember that's his brother. Ridley Scott is Tony Scott's brother. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just, I, I feel like I was listening to Hans Zimmer, you know, like writing this cause he did gladiator and it's, it was just, it, it was such a perfect, I don't know. The music was just really perfect in both of those scenes yeah. specifically, but all over the place is the sound design was fantastic. It was incredible because for one, if I had continued playing that, that ending sequence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They spring through like four different tracks in the span of like two and a half, three minutes. Oh, yeah. Seamlessly. And it is so effortless and is pulling me in the exact emotional directions that they're trying to get me to go. Yeah. And that's really hard to do. Not just like, not just like musically, but also edit wise. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, you're editing... You're, edit, you, you're editing to make the movie feel a certain way visually, but also you might need to change that when you hear a piece of music that you think, okay, that's the emotion I want, but I'm, the edit doesn't have the pacing that I want you know, to match up with this music or vice versa. So you have to make them match together. And when you're trying to go between three or four different tracks, uh, Oh yeah. Syncing you know what I mean? that. Syncing that and, and the timing and everything, uh, along with the way that you're supposed to feel when it all comes together is like really difficult. And that ending is just fantastic because at any moment, if it cuts too early or it's the wrong thing or the musical cue is in the wrong spot, you know, and by wrong, I mean like just poorly placed, yep. you know, then it all falls apart, like all of it, you know, and, and you, you have such a weight of these amazing performances on all, you know, the musical cues and on the editing. I mean, that's uh, kudos to, to uh, Tony Scott on that. Cause yeah, kinda, it's, it really is incredible because Trying to pull someone in that many emotional directions is a minefield. Yeah. Like if it if you if you misstep, then suddenly, you know, the you're you're just taken out of it and you're like, wait, what? Why? Yeah. Why do I feel why am I supposed to feel sad about him? Whatever. That was a dumb decision. But they did so many things leading up to that moment. And then absolutely executing the hell out of it. Oh, that you just go with every single thing you you feel the joy of uh her you know Peta and lisa ramos you know reuniting and you also feel the uh the satisfaction of him getting the the outcome that he wanted and also you get the satisfaction and the, you get the sorrow of him dying but also the satisfaction of knowing that he's dying on his terms not through torture and whatever it is that they were going to do to him right, right like exactly. that's a lot happening in the span of a very very short amount of time yeah Definitely. And they just nail it. And, uh, you know, it makes me wonder, and maybe you can answer this, um, but as a, as a filmmaker, is it harder, is it like more pressure or harder to capture a good performance, per, you know, well, or to, this sounds stupid me asking this question. It sounds like a duh <laughs> thing, but I, but I don't know. Like if I have a Denzel Washington and I'm, and he's performing on camera, uh, that I'm on a, in a film that I'm making, um, there's way more pressure on me to get the shot, the angles, the lighting, all that shit right. Because if I don't, that performance is going to, going to be lacking, right? Because you, you, you're only as good as what's in the frame. Yeah. And if you, if you have someone amazing like Denzel Washington in the rec- incorrect place in the frame, or, you know, like it's a bad, uh, bad lighting situation, whatever, then it, you, you can't really tell that. But if you have like kind of a worse actor, but is framed better, lit better, like obviously you always want Denzel Washington. Yeah. I, I, I get that. I understand. <laughs> but I guess my point is, is that, that is it, is it harder when you have someone who's that good to get it that right? I no, obviously not, because the nice thing, the reason why you get uh, Denzel or Dakota Fanning, yeah, uh-huh. who is outrageously good for rage, okay. we'll certainly touch on that, I think, yeah. but it's because that they can repeat it. They can give you that same performance a number of times, whereas I think it's harder to get, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, a, a, a worse actor because you get in the editing room with Denzel. I would have to imagine 
it's a battle of which take do I want to use? Yeah. Whereas you get into a situation with someone like me who's Which still, take do I have? Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly right. Yeah. What can I use? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. You just have more to use. Yeah, yeah I would think so. Because they could give you more uh, more takes. That, that makes sense. Yeah, but, but to your point, I mean, still, I'm sure D- Dakota's going to give you a lot, but... You still, I mean, she's still just a girl, you know, a little, whatever, Mm 10-year-old, 7-year-old, I have no idea. She sounds like she's freaking 30, um, emotionally mature-wise, but you also don't know, she may not be able to cry for, you know, two hours straight, probably not. So it's probably, to your point, like, yeah, super important you get how you approach that coverage is radically important because you probably want to start with her. And that's what I mean. Is that, like, harder yeah, you yeah, know, I you think gotta, so. You got to plan more, and, because know. if I was going to plan a shoot with a little girl like that, who who I know is going to give me a dynamite performance, but maybe can't give it to me five times, mm-hmm. then I start with her coverage, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I might even just pull out you know an extra camera and say, and all takes I'm getting her. We're going to start you know making sure we get double coverage of her. And then when we move into Denzel's. I might still keep a camera on her just in case. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, makes sense. Whereas Denzel, you could that probably, make, yeah. okay, we got, you know, a safety take uh, of medium wide, close up, extreme close up, and we're out. That's <laughs> interesting. And I, I think it's important for our, our listeners to, to hear stuff like that. Because like, you know, you see a finished movie and, you know, you think, okay, they shot the beginning, they shot the middle, they shot the end. And, you know, even people that aren't, you know, into filmmaking or like know a lot of the details, they know, oh, you could shoot the end before the beginning. But even in a scene, who you shoot first, you know, because maybe you're a single camera shoot, you know, and you don't have the luxury of having two cameras where you can shoot them both at the same time. Yeah. Who do you who do you film first? Let's film the little girl first so that, you know, we can get that performance out of her, you know, uh, or, you know, let's and that could change. Maybe it's better to shoot her second so that she can warm up to Denzel, but isn't going to try to cry. She's just going to respond to him, you know, like, like facially. Absolutely. That's such a good point because the, the benefit of shooting, you know, chronologically for the most part is getting to know your actress and saying, Oh, here's where she's going to give her best. Cause maybe you're right. Maybe it is. Oh, she, she really needs you know, the first 10 takes to kind of warm up to the scene mm-hmm. and then she's going to be ready for the fireworks. Yeah. And if you're the director, you need to know that yeah. and you need to plan accordingly. And, and I mean, you know, those are the kinds of things where, you know, making a movie is, is you have to be in it. You can't, you can't just say, oh, I'm just going to do this because not only is it, is it more difficult, but it 100% comes through in the finished product. You know, I mean, I could fake it through making out an album, but you cannot fake it directing a film like you have to know all these little details and pay attention to every all your actors, all of your crew, you know, like take care of people, because when it's three o'clock in the morning and you need them to do two more takes because you have to get it because you're, you know, going to a different location tomorrow or something, you know, you need them to be on their A game. And so you got to take care of them and like all that. And obviously if you're at that level, you probably have producers that are going to help you with that. But you as a director, you know, you're on the hook for everything. Yeah. And that's, I think also it's such a good uh, point about building those skill sets because for you and I, we probably can't come back tomorrow. We don't have the budget to rebook a location. And so, you know, maybe in a, a evolutionary sense, a Darwinian sense, as a small filmmaker, before you can get to the point of a Tony Scott or Ridley Scott where you can, oh, if we go overtime or if we have uh, to reshoot tomorrow, we can do that because we have budget. Uh, well, Darwin says you have to evolve to the point to being able to do that. And to do that, you have to not be able to have those to extra resources. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's... I like it. God. But so just touching on editing. Yeah. yeah like there were sure. some really cool things that... Uh, I still don't understand how they did because, you know, it's, this is a very kinetic, uh, edit, right? It's, it's hyper. Um, and I think a lot of that heavy editing is creating tension and also kind of reflecting, uh, creases intense focus on minutia because, you know, for introverts, so, so often we're not talkative and we, we don't, uh, 
just say everything that's on our mind. But internally, you know, someone once told me that I have a rich internal life. And I was like, how the hell would you even know that? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not discussing any of that. Uh, but I think that's kind of what they're getting at with the editing styles and choices is uh, it's maybe showing us how he feels inside. Mm-hmm. He, there's not a lot going 100%. on in his surface, right? Definitely. But it's, you know, the, the guy washing the window. It's a and duck underwater. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the editing allows us to kind of feel emotionally how he's feeling. And they do this very simple effect throughout the film. Well, I call it simple. It's probably not, but... I remember a long, long, long time ago, I, I watched uh, this with the, uh, the director's commentary on Tony Scott, and he was just talking about how to get some of those flashy uh, edits and, and moments, they were actually cutting the film, like physically cutting the film. And I don't know if they cut it before rolling and in doing that. So the, the cool thing about film is there are a lot of analog uh things that you can do with it that you can try to replicate and with digital and some extent, you know, maybe it's imperceivable, the difference uh, to the normal audience. But with film, there's an actual physical thing that's passing through the lens, uh, through the gate, as they say. And if you wanted to, and it's really important keeping the light out of the gate or else, you know, you'll get these hot flashes and that's kind of that film burn look Mm -hmm. that you see a lot of people emulating today. I think the interesting thing would be is if you decided to kind of place these scratches or or slight slits into the film, you're creating this extra avenue of light creeping in in ways that you wouldn't ordinarily see light creeping in. And I don't know if he so maybe he did it beforehand. Maybe he did it after uh, before they went into processing or maybe he did it after that (laughs) where they cut film uh, after it's been processed, but before it's been scanned. Uh, and so there's like so many ways that I don't understand what he did, yeah. but it's stuck in my head ever since then. Wow, that's cool. And I'm just, I don't know, kind of in awe because for one, at any one of those points, you could ruin the film. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, they had to have a backup or something, right? They had to I make would, a copy uh, before cutting it. Maybe. <laughs> the way I mean, how he do you described make a copy it, of film? I don't know. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that, that's a tricky know. thing. That's nerve wracking. Yeah. But the way the, to hear the way he described, it, he was like, yeah, we didn't really know what we we're doing. We tested it and we liked it. So we just kept doing it and hoping we wouldn't ruin any takes. Oh, well, then then they didn't copy it, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was faith in what you're doing. Yeah, that's so crazy. Um, but I love that. I love the risk taking awesome. for sure. Um, and just kind of the trust in his own process. And yeah, you know, I did notice in some of the editing, they took some liberties, some like Steven Spielberg like old Steven Spielberg esque liberties, like when he has the specifically this, I noticed specifically, but it, it happens a few times. Um, when he uses the rocket launcher to blow up the car, the car, he's on the second floor. Yeah. Blows up the car and immediately he's at the car. Right. He's walking he's already out. in the street, walking <laughs> to the guy who's like still surprised this car, just the car in front of him just blew up. Uh, you know, and, and the guy who was driving, the driver was still in the car. And so he shoots him, Denzel shoots him. And it's like, you were just on the second floor (laughs) and you're immediately in the street and with your gear, with your gear. And, uh, so anyway, I noticed that, but it, it's nothing that took me out of it. It was just like a, let's cut the fluff bullshit. You know, like let's, let's, that's so funny because that's one of those moments that I'll notice periodically. Like Mm. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've watched this movie, but every, a lot like, yeah, (laughs) like every fifth watch I'll be like, Oh, that's hilarious. We're, you know, camera left. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And suddenly he's just there. Yeah. But then every, every other time I'm like, yeah, blow the hell out of that guy. Uh huh. Anyway, so yeah, I, I love the editing in this in this film. Yeah, though. it's it's very it's very it's smart, you know. It's smart and it's it's a lot. It is, and the sound design, and I don't mean just musically, but you know when all those phonetic things are happening, that like the yeah, you know, like all that stuff. You have to perfect. make it feel like this uh, physical thing is happening yeah. because if you see it and there's no audio to kind of cue it, it it can be off putting and it's mm-hmm. like wait. Uh, 
Yeah, it just kind of pulls and you out. I mean, and it's, you know, you're hearing echoes of voices, you know, obviously his past yeah. or, you know, things that are still haunting him, things like that are coming back and um, mixed with the the stuff that you're seeing of him drinking and like it's it's very, it's told very well. And I think ju- it's told, it's used just the right amount yeah. anymore and I'd have been exhausted, uh, you know. Yep. Because like that's another thing to note, you know, as filmmakers coming up and and stuff like don't overuse something. If you have an idea, you know, use it sparingly because that can be your calling card rather than a, oh, that's so and so and so's. Uh, we know she or he made that film because X or Y and it's just, you know, your thing instead of like a that was awesome. How did they do that? just a little bit goes a lot farther than you think. Absolutely. It's, I don't know, as a, I don't know when you stop doing curtain calls, you know, as a, as a mm. band, yeah. but the idea I think is to leave them wanting more. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you satisfy that quench, you've done too much. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, watch it. Yeah. Try to watch it through the, the lens of, of your viewer. And, and if it's, if you're getting tired, if you're getting even close to being tired of something, they definitely are. Yeah. You know, because if it's your baby right. and you're tired of something, <laughs> oh, you might've done something wrong. That's a signal. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So, yeah. so how many times, I assume you probably, I assume no one has seen this movie as many times as me. But probably not. When was the last time you think you saw this? Oh, uh, I mean, not super long ago, maybe like four or five years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Not super long ago, but long enough to be excited to watch it again. Yeah. Uh, because I, I loved it. This is I probably like the fourth time I've seen it. Thir- nice. Third at least. Yeah. It's a, I, yeah. So how do you feel about it? Like what are the yeah. things that draw you into it? I, I love it. It's, it's incredible film. Um, the acting is amazing. Anytime you have Denzel Washington <laughs> film, it's incredible. Um, but next to Dakota Fanning was just off the charts and holy shit, Mark Anthony, what? <laughs> wow. Uh, he was incredible in this, in this film. And, um, I mean, all the acting was great. The writing was really, really awesome. Um, this is somewhat of a true story. It's a combination of two true stories. Is it really? It, it is. It is. There was a history of a, um, I don't know if it was an assassin, but it was a mercenary who went around killing people who abducted people. Whoa. Yeah, like just like uh, Creasy did in this film. Like, and it was this was back, I think, like in the seventies or sixties. Yeah, because the original Man on Fire came out in like the late seventies. Yeah, okay, it might even been before that. It might have been the fifties. I don't know, but it was like it was decades ago. And then there was also a a story of a police chief who got caught with a body in his trunk, just like this guy did in, in this film and you're the president, the president. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, th- there are two different stories and there's uh, more detail in that, that I can't really remember, but it's two, it's based on two t- factful Whoa. stories, right? Which is so badass yeah, <laughs> that there was a that. guy who went around killing kidnappers in terrible, terrible ways too. Yeah. Like just like he did. I'm not necessarily rooting for the extra terrible thing, but I'm not kind of, I kind of am. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that was really cool. And watching these performances next to each other is just like, so, so awesome. So I, I love the film. Uh, I love the writing. I love the fact that it was based off something that's, God, that's true, cool. which is like really inspiring as a, a dad myself. There were some really heart wrenching, yeah. you know, emotions like, Binding out, I I had forgotten at least for the first half of it that the father was yeah. involved in this and didn't intend for it to go the way that it did. But so I kind of felt for him, but at the same time, it made me feel the things that it was supposed to. Right, I felt for him, but I also wanted him to kill himself because yep. he deserved it. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, I, I don't. Really, but I always I find that interesting too. Just that idea of. What, what was his excuse? Money. For what? To maintain their lifestyle. Right. He did it for his family. Yeah. That is one of my, I don't know, that, yeah, that grieves be. me yeah. when people use their, their family as an excuse to do anything immoral, whatever. You, you stole some money out of the, the cart and you did it for your family. It's like, 
man, don't just just say it was easier. Like, yeah, just say it was easier. Don't use right, your family right. as your scapegoat because and it's it's ironic. You wait a minute. You kidnapped your daughter <laughs> for your daughter. <laughs> That you know, you're you're actually mentioning something that's that kind of like yeah. you think you know the writing fell a little bit short there. Like well, it could have been something a little bit better. Well, I think I mean we definitely understand the motive and the idea that he didn't think she would ever actually be in any danger, and he, and to some extent she wasn't. Like whenever he he gets her, he, he did, they didn't hurt you, did they? And she's like, no, like yeah. you never got the sense that she was actually uh, in pain. Now, obviously. Emotional pain is a completely I mean, different. Yeah, but you think she's, she's scarred for you life. You think she's dead for a quarter of the film. That's true. So well, she was going to be in pain because oh, yeah. whatever they were going to do to make that money back probably wasn't going to be beneficial to her. Oh yeah, absolutely. Dang. So what did you think? Oh man, it, you know what's amazing is just listening to the soundbite that we played at the beginning of the show. I still get choked up. I still yeah. get emotional, and. I mean, I really have seen this probably 30 times. 30. Yeah. I would bet. Jesus. Yeah. Like whenever. Wes, I saw, <laughs> you have a problem. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it recently. I, like, it's probably been a good. You've seen it 30 year, times. Year and a half. You probably saw it For two weeks ago. Whenever I got my first iPod, this was one of the only two movies that I had on my iPod. Uh-huh. And the other one was the original Romero Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. And so whenever I'd go like backpacking or traveling, this was one of the only movies I could watch. And, and I was okay with that. And what's funny is I would be backpacking through Mexico. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Perfect. But it, intervention, bro. And there's just so many like bits and moments that I, I really love. Even ones that, uh, like me and my buddy Shamario would kind of recite to each other, uh, crazy bear, <laughs> crazy bear. Uh, but yeah, so I've seen this so many times and any movie that I've seen more than twice that I can still get an emotional reaction from me, mm. uh, is super impressive to me. And this is certainly one of the top ones that I, I don't think it's ever made me cry, but it's certainly put me like, Right in the in the moment where if someone walked in and I blinked, there would just be tears all over my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so it just it's it's amazing just because of uh, the ability that not only that it resonates, but it's also frustrating that I don't feel like it ever rose to you know its place in uh, film canon that mm-hmm. I that I feel like it deserves because the story is so simple. Yeah, but I feel like simple stories are the hardest to do, Mm. you know, in excellence. Um, Because, oh, a a guy, you know, is trying to get a little girl back. Oh, you mean like Taken? Or you mean like, I don't know, a thousand other, you know, guy who comes to the rescue movies? Well, yeah, but this one... Well, they they spend a good third of the movie, almost third of the movie, setting up her kidnapping. I mean, she's she's in it for half the film before she's kidnapped. Yes, right. Absolutely. They, they, and let that be a lesson, set your shit up, right? Set up the story so that it can be emotive in the end. And we can enjoy that having that emotional, you know, uh, experience at the end. If she would have been uh, kidnapped at the beginning or even 10 minutes in or 15 minutes in, you know, they don't get to have this whole, she doesn't get to save him. You know, which was the whole point of this is for her to save him, not for, yeah, well, yes, for the other way around as well. Sure. But it's more about a story of her saving him yes. than it is him saving her. 100%. Yeah. And, and you don't really get that if, unless you spend the time to have them spend time together. Him not wanting to be there, her wanting him to want to be there, him discovering that he does care for her because she's awesome, you know, her discovering that he's discovering that, (laughs) you know, them having bonding moments and then feeling like, oh, we can relax a little bit in our love with, for each other. And then the stuff happens. It's like set up. That's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. It's so perfect. So I'll just dive into my writing. Let's do it. Because that's amazing. So For one, I want to talk about, you know, just how TV is different from film in terms of drama, the way you write drama for these. Please do. That would be good for me to know. 
in TV, I feel like, so in film, there are fewer monologues. Mm-hmm. You're expected to read between the lines. Um, and it's the whole classic show, don't tell, right? By contrast, TV show dramas feel like endless monologues, which is also why it's easier for them to cover so much more story ground in TV. Whenever you think about, man, well, one TV episode runs about 45 minutes, almost 50 minutes, uh, between 40 and 50 minutes. Why does that feel like, what's the difference between that and a movie? Well, that's one of them. For one, you're never having to discover, I mean, to some extent, depending on the drama, it's variable, but for the most part, they're informing you how they feel through these beautiful monologues. Mm-hmm. Whereas in film, th- in this movie, Creasy never tells you how he feels. He asks a question here and there at the very beginning. He sets up uh, his emotional state whenever he asks uh, his buddy, Paul, is it? <laughs> uh, Paul Rayburn. He's like, uh, do you think God will forgive us for what we've done? And, uh, mm-hmm. he, you can tell for one, he looks like hell, right? He's unshaven, uh, his hair's a mess and he's just saying, yeah, I just drove down to see you, you know? And then he just drops this question on him. This is what's eating away at him and why he looks the way he looks, but you have to piece all that together. Mm-hmm. They don't specifically say this guy's depressed. Instead you see him, he's got a drinking problem. Um, and he's unlovable. <laughs> he refuses, <laughs> He's trying to kill himself. Yeah. Like he's got a gun and he's got the liquor bottle and every which way possible. He's trying to kill himself. And now he's taking dangerous jobs where he doesn't blink when he's, when he's asked, uh, you know, whenever he tells them, you know, if, if professionals try to kidnap your daughter, you know, there's only so you much get you what do. you pay for. You get what you like, pay for. Oh my God. He's so basically good. saying I'll die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but on the universe, he's like, what if amateurs try it? I'll probably kill him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. so that's a huge, huge difference. Just the discovery of the character and, and their desires. So we know Creasy wants to die because he cannot forgive himself for what he's done. PETA by contrast wants to love him and take away his sadness. And they set that up when she just makes the observation that he is sad. She's like, he's like a big sad teddy bear. And what's interesting is that neither of these desires is ever spoken, only demonstrated throughout the entire movie. And to your perfect point earlier, at about the 13 minute mark is when we find our first scene with just Creasy and Pita. And it's not until the 50 minute mark, 45 plus minutes later when she gets kidnapped. Mm, Man. You know, that's, that's impressive. And Um, and most of that is time of them together. Yeah. In one way, in some capacity or another. So you spend, you know, like you said, a good third of the movie Mm -hmm. of them being together. And that's why we fully understand and empathize with his rationale for his actions, you know, for everything that follows after that kidnapping and along with, you know, why we're rooting for him to, to do it. Yeah. Um, and so they did not rely on just a kidnapping of a helpless, lovable little girl. They could have done that, you know, at the 20 minute mark and trimmed half an hour off the runtime because mm-hmm. this is almost a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. But they needed that. It was important to redeem him through PETA's, you know, unstoppable love. And then for him to, you know, go and uh, save her and for him, it was more of a symbolic salvation. Yeah. You know, um, and of course, the uh, the cherry on top was, yeah, I would absolutely trade my life because there was no reason for it in the first place. Right. And now, psh. and, and think of all like the stuff. I mean, this is such non lazy writing. It, it is so, it's so difficult. They did not have to have him be, sh- be shot and in the hospital and in a, in a coma and having to recover. They did not need to um, make it seem like she died and make everybody else seem like she died. They don't give you any time frame of how long it's been since she was abducted, at, at least at, at first, yeah. right? You don't know. Yeah. Uh, they say he's supposed to be in the hospital for a month, right? The, the lazy way of writing that would be they knock him out during the kidnapping. He comes to, realizes she's been kidnapped, and then he goes on a rampage. That's the easy, lazy way to write, yeah. right? I say lazy. 
whatever. If you if you write a movie, you're not lazy. Yeah, true. But I'm yeah. I'm just saying like that's the easy way to write it. Yeah. The way they wrote it was so much. There was so much more layer cake involved, right? Even to the point of, um, I mean, my my favorite mini story because this this movie is also full of mini stories. Yeah, totally. Mini movies. Yep. Is the bullet? Mm-hmm. Is a bullet doesn't lie, and. It's just so good to have this little thing that can come back later on in the film to tie up an, a loose end, which was the dad. Yeah. Right? So he was not supposed to die because he was supposed to, to save PETA, right? Yeah. But apparently her dad's supposed to die because he's, it's his fault for this whole thing in the first place. And the bullet knows that and, and takes care of that loose end. Like how brilliant is that? It's so simple. It's deceptively simple. Yes. Yes. And they, they also do a good job of, you don't have too, you actually don't have too much of Dakota Fanning in this film. I mean, it it is, it's all Denzel Washington, all a hundred percent of it, but she doesn't have to be super emotive all the time. You know, like she's, a little emotive in the beginning when she's kind of extending her olive branch to him, you know, in certain scenes, she's emotive when she's being kidnapped and then she's emotive at the very end when he saves her. But there's a good hour more where she, you don't see her at all in the film. You know, it's like, you know, you see her for the first 50 minutes until she's, she's kidnapped. Not even the first 50 minutes. I think probably maybe the first, I don't know, 10 is crazy yeah, until, until totally. he, right. Yep. Cause I don't think we even see her until the 12 minute mark. Right. So, okay. So you've got 38 minutes. Right. If that <laughs> yeah. of to go to fanning and then she's gone for an hour, over an hour and then you get five minutes of her at the end. Right. So they give you another good example of giving you just enough of this wonderful experience of, of watching her on screen and, and taking in her performance and then like, you know, putting it back on the big dog. Absolutely. You know I mean? And it's, it's, per, it's so brilliant just because for one, I, I get, you're not going to have a lot of Dakota fanning. So they hit a jackpot with the timing of making this movie, but yeah, they didn't just rest on that. They, yeah. they recycled those bits and that's where the editing kind of comes back in is because they kept recycling, you know, her voice. And so that we always felt connected with her, uh-huh. even when she was on screen. Yes. Yes. So she was never far from our memory. And, but, we did, but it did, you're, you're totally right. It didn't lean on her Yeah, too much. It wasn't like, Hey, here's the amazing phenom, uh, you know, actress, <laughs> right. like little, little actress who's in, incredible and everybody knows it. She, they just like, they gave her a a role, a purpose. She wasn't on screen unless she had to be, unless she needed to be, unless it made it a better story. Totally. You know what I mean? And so it's, yeah, abs. God, that's so true because it's easy to think, Oh, this is two and a half hour movie. And to think that they didn't trim any fat. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. They, they made this exactly as, as tight as it possibly could be. And that's, that's saying a lot that we're (laughs) saying that because a lot of times there's not a whole lot of two and a half hour movies. I'm like, yeah, that needed to be two and a half hours. Right. <laughs> Most of them, I'm like, that could have been 45 minutes. You could have that down. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I, I love that. Fine. We get the girl back, but it came at a really great cost. Mm-hmm. Like we had to really pay the price in order to, to bring her back to life. Obviously, you know, her father had to die yeah. and uh, Creasy had to die. And so this wasn't just a happy ending. It was like, oh, it was emotionally satisfying while also giving you uh, a glimmer of hope and a glimmer of light. Mm-hmm. And that's, God, that's really hard to do. I feel like if this were someone else made this movie today, they would have killed everybody. Oh, like, yeah, they both would have died or, yeah. you know, or to your point, they just would have made it a little, a lot easier instead of, oh, you know. The hard thing is the economics of making a movie like this because you might say this is the, this two and a half hour version is the best version, but we need it at an hour 45 because then we can play it more times at the box office mm. and get more tickets. So that's where the Jesus economics Christ. of runtime really creep in. And it's like, yeah, no, but that's why you need a Tony Scott and a Ridley Scott to kind of fight for their characters yeah. to say that. I understand what you mean, 
but go to hell. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. this movie needs to be this way in order yeah. to uh, resonate. Yeah. Um, and that's why I, ultimately I'll be, you know, watching this for years to come. Definitely. Um, but to dive over to performances, there, man, there are just a few scenes where you see people come unhinged. And that is incredibly hard to do without feeling, you know, soap operatic. Yeah. You know, but they do it. They nail it. Like Rada Mitchell, whenever, you know, she hears her daughter die, mm. loses oh. her mind. And I don't know. <laughs> fuck out of my house. And she's beating on people. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much of that was like. Hey, by the way, I'm gonna slap the shit out of you. Yeah. Or if it was just yeah. like I'm about to lose my I mind. I thought that too. She really hit him. Yeah. Like that she was not CGI, man. That was <laughs> legit smackdown. Oh, and yeah, seeing her lose her mind, I feel I can't remember the specific moments, but I feel like Creasy comes unhinged of several oh towards the end, right? Whenever he's got the the ex wife and the brother. Um, oh yeah. He's and he blows his hand off. Yeah. Um, he's <laughs> screaming at the top of his lungs. You can't do that in film, man. That, yeah. Do you know how hard it is to, to yell and to lose your, yourself like that on film and to make it shine through? Yeah. For it to seem real and not yeah. like not acty. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredibly hard. Normally, if that's 100%, you usually want people going at like a 70, 80%. <laughs> <laughs> Dial it back. Yeah, man. Because we're going to redline that audio. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, is there a trick? Is there gear that helps, you know, capture the same audio line in two different sequences? So that I mean, yeah, you can you can track it on. You can have multiple booms and and you can also track two different takes at the same time. OK, so if you have one boom, you can run it into two different ends and like, OK, I'm going to EQ this one at a negative six and this one at like a negative 20. Yeah, you can set like they use these. um things called sound devices usually i don't know on a big movie like this it might be something even bigger but usually they're they're 12 tracks six six main tracks but really 12 because you have a line and, and, a, and a, a mic input level input and you can record one at a certain level but also at the same time it will record another track at, um, with a pad you could have a 10 or a 20 db pad so it's recording the same audio it's just at two different levels the same, the same mic exact just time capturing it in two different all with volumes. one one input oh that's nice you know so they probably did something like that yeah. or maybe they had two different booms just in case you know it's something like you know and i would imagine they probably have some other tricks with gunshots and you know oh, sure. and things like that they <laughs> use all the time that i'm not privy to yeah but no that's pretty cool yeah going back to performances i Christopher Walken, man, brings so much charisma and authenticity, which is pitch freaking perfect for such a serious film. Like without him, It'd we would all be serious. Samuel Ramos by the yeah. end of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just put me out of my misery. Yeah. But him like turning even the, the suicide scene whenever he's on the phone with Creasy and uh -huh. he's like, sorry, I didn't mean to wake you. And he's like, no, I was watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's laughing. Like, but he knows his buddy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He knows his buddy like this. I'm his lifeline. He knows that. And even just the way he like licks his fingers and he's telling the story like, you know, anything can be an art, you know, food, yeah. for instance. Yeah, he's he's God. he always kind of have has a smirk on his face. Yeah. And so <laughs> no matter what he delivers, because of that, you kind of take a little lighthearted, yeah. even though he delivers all, most of his lines, he delivers in a lighthearted way. Yeah. Which, which is wonderful, but he always has a smirk. So it, even, even if there's an air of seriousness about it, it's still like you're receiving it in a much more like, I guess, um, kind way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's just a, he's just the voice of reason. Yeah. In a, in a sea of know, anarchy, yeah. I guess, you know? Um, and yeah. the other performance wise, the other thing I really love is, Whenever Creasy gets shot that first time, mm. he doesn't react. He just, he's uh -huh. like, oh, I have gunfire come from over here. Boom, 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 boom. This is one of those things that Hollywood. Good point. 100% of the time gets wrong. Yeah. Whenever you get shot, 
a lot of the times you don't know that you've been shot. Yeah. Yeah. You keep going. That's what you, I mean, I've, I've heard so many people say, I say that same thing. I didn't know I got shot until I looked down and there's blood everywhere. I'm like, Oh my, how did you, how did, you know, to me, I've never been shot. So I'm like, right. how do you not know you've been shot? But, yeah. uh, it, I mean, bullets going what? 700 miles an hour or something God. ridiculous meters per second or something yeah. like that. And of course you're not going to know it's going to hit you and like so fast, you're not going to, your brain can't process it. I mean, unless it's like a, you know, shotgun or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But 50 caliber. It's it's not until like the second bullet that goes through like his chest and his lungs are exploding probably at that point where he starts shutting down. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many shots he ends up taking, two or three, I guess. But uh, I just really love that because, and I'll link a thread on Reddit if you're curious about this, that people, there's this question that someone asked like, hey, people who have really been shot, what's that really like? And there's a story after story oh my there's God. short of these people saying, that, yeah, man, I got, you know, shot twice in the back and um, just suddenly, you know, it, it was warm and my arm didn't work quite as well as it had been. Uh, but otherwise I felt fine for, you know, the next 20 seconds or whatever. Oh my God. <laughs> there's just so many of these stories that I'm like, oh, wow. And so watching something like this where we're... We've been inundated with the Hollywoodized versions of, you know, gunfire that we forget. Oh, yeah. You know what? The reality is a lot different from uh, the way it's been portrayed. And so I just appreciate them kind of demonstrating that. Man, good point. Now, maybe the rest of the film, it plays out a little differently as he's gunning everyone down. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's your typical, like, everybody's going to shoot 500 times (laughs) to my three and I'm going to kill seven guys. But it's so rewarding. It really is. <laughs> you want them to go down. I mean, are we are we like hypocritical here because we, you know, we attack movies. Yeah, right. For same, other movies right. are the same thing. I think I think you know if you tell a good story, then things can be overlooked. Yeah, you know, totally. Where did the T Rex come from? You know, like yeah. the uh, anyway. If you tell a good story in a in a thoughtful way that like takes into the to account the the viewer and doesn't make them feel stupid, doesn't try to make them feel stupid or ignorant, then you're going to get away with a lot more. Yeah. You know, totally. And it's, and not only are you going to get away with it, but it might be endearing in some ways. True. Really good point. At the end of the day, distract me with your good story. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there it is. There it is. That's the sound bite right there. Yeah. I like it. That's awesome. Um, cool. That's pretty yeah. much all I got, man. Uh, me too, man. What do you give it? Yeah, for me, this is yeah, an easy 10. 10. <laughs> ten. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would give it a 9.5 uh, right after I watched it, a 10. Yeah. Um, I think... If you let it sit for a few I, weeks... <laughs> I would never go any lower than a 9.5. Yeah. Never, never. But on uh, most days, a 10. Today just happens to, I think, be a 9.5. I could just sit and watch Dakota Fanning and Denzel Washington in a scene all day long. I totally agree. God. Totally agree. I mean, they just they have this chemistry with them. And it it's... It's, I don't know, it's palpable, man. And yeah. you really feel like he's more of a, he's like her father, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in, in a way. Um, anyway, yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Um, sweet. So what are you recommending this week? Oh, yes. Okay. So I'm heavy into it and it's a show, okay, which I don't really like to recommend shows a lot because they're shows and it's totally different i get it we already talked about that but i'm going to recommend season two of the oa i knew it look at the did notes. you really yeah oh, how did you know that <laughs> i don't know i just how did you it. know that how did you know that <laughs> how did you know that <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's crazy awesome. i love it man i love just the, the season two is so much better than season one so much better oh my god and, season and i one enjoyed was great. It. yeah I didn't know what the hell was happening in season one. Yeah. Now I kind of do, and it's still better. Yes. It's so good. Britt Marling. She's incredible. She's incredible. You She's know, incredible. She, she, this is her show. She wrote yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She wrote no, it. I've been following her okay, since good. Another Earth. Okay, good. Um, yeah. I, I, I hadn't. And so this is like, uh, like, you know, new introduction to me with her. And this, there's so many storylines in this second season, and there's only eight episodes. It's magical. And I'm so disappointed <laughs> that it's only eight episodes. I was I was watching the eighth one thinking I had two more. 
was just, oh my God. Anyway, Do go, I, I, I would watch season one before you watch season two. Definitely. Yeah. You have to, yeah. uh, but the OA go, it's, you won't regret it. You will binge the shit out of that. Yeah. And if you want more Brit Marling stuff, I mean, definitely check out, uh, sound of my voice mm. is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the East, uh, is She's just her and Zal. I don't know how to pronounce Zal's last name. I don't but either, but they're yeah, incredible. Either. Yeah. Yep. Um, my recommendation, if you enjoy Man on Fire and you like uh, these deep, dark films, I'm going to recommend uh, Cronicas, or more specifically, Cronicas. Um, it's a Spanish film that I forget where it's said. It's like Peru or Chile, maybe somewhere in South America, I'm pretty sure, but it's about kidnappings and it has John Leguizamo, Mm. who's incredible. He's amazing. Um, And I would say, check that out. If you can handle like a good two hour drama, uh, dark drama, Mm -hmm. I should emphasize, uh, with subtitles, then a great investment for my book. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And you, of course, you can check those trailers out for the OA and Chronicas at uh, thepestlepodcast.com slash man on fire, where you can also drop us a, a note if you would like us, uh, if you'd like to comment on this episode or leave us a note saying the things you'd like us to talk about or recommend a movie. And to that end, stay tuned next week when we tackle another performance. Uh, noteworthy from Tom Hanks in Castaway. That's going to be fun. Yes. I'm tempted to do a Tomathon or we, we, we do a couple of Toms. <laughs> Money pit. Yeah. Ooh. Oh man. I was I also thinking, uh, laughed out loud. And <laughs> there's another, uh, like Captain Phillips. Oh like yeah. Oh yeah. Him I'm having just, problems with planes. <laughs> yeah. Forrest Gump. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so Yeah. Figure that out next week whenever you listen to the castaway. (laughs) Awesome. So we'll leave you with a quote of the day. This one is from David Simon. There came this point where I sat down with all my notebooks and I had to start to write. When I thought this whole notion of writing for the person who understands nothing, the average reader, he has to die. I can't have him in my head. And so the person I started writing for was the homicide detective. What? Yeah. That's mind-blowing. That's such a good perspective. And I chose him because he was a beat reporter for uh, the Baltimore, whatever, Sentinel or something. Yeah, Sun, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And he ended up, you know, writing The Wire. Uh, So Mm -hmm. he's the showrunner and writer for The Wire. And I was like, man, yeah, whenever I think about this kind of story, like, I want to hear way he thinks about the writing process of something this, you know, convoluted and, and deep and dark. And whenever I ran across, he had another quote that I thought was good, but when I saw this quote, I was like, that's the best mm-hmm. right with someone specific in mind. And that way you kind of get away from these generic, all the stuff that you were talking about with, uh, you know, just the, this, the easy way out Man, bump that. Right with someone more specific in mind, you can probably begin to escape the doldrums and the the obvious. And then you can take a simple story and add so many layers of complexity and emotional depth that it sings a completely new tune yeah. and becomes more than the, the, the log line, the plot synopsis. Because mm-hmm. the plot synopsis is simple. This experience is not. Absolutely. And I mean, going back to writing and, and just quickly relating back to, you know, that my favorite part about the, about man on fire with the bullet. Um, one little aspect about it in the writing about it is that it wasn't that the, the gun misfired. It actually hit the bullet. There was a dent in the firing pin or in the, the primer, the primer of the bullet and the bullet just did not go off. Like that is, that's very specific writing. Like it, it, it normally, at least in my experience of watching films, it's like oh, the gun misfires or doesn't, something happens with the gun, but it's not the bullet. This is specifically written for the bullet to be the, that's, that's the culprit. And what's so good about that moment is that he calls up, you know, his, his buddy Rayburn 
And in this conversation, we establish several things. It's a very efficient and smart uh, exposition for one, justifying that that happens. So it, yeah. it keeps us in suspension, suspension of uh, disbelief mm-hmm. so that you're like a bullet would never not go off if you struck it. Right. And so they established for one, yeah, it freaking happens. But then a mythology behind it. Of, yes. But the B- bullet, bullet doesn't chooses. Lie. Yeah. <laughs> bullet doesn't lie. Yeah. Wow. God, that's good. Man. Great Beautiful. quote, man. Great Thank choice. You, sir. Great Thank choice. you. Uh, so, as Wes said, uh, make sure to uh, subscribe and review us on iTunes. We we definitely need that. Um, share us with your friends. Uh, if you like movies or you know somebody else who does, and you like to hear people talk about movies, uh, just mention this to a friend. Who who knows? You know, maybe they'll enjoy it. And that's why we do this, right? We yeah. like talking about movies. Hells to the yeah, yeah all day to people that want to want to hear about them um and if you like this uh you can find all of this in the passive slash man on fire uh and again join us next week we're gonna be covering castaway i'm very excited about that ditto yeah uh until next week i'm todd i'm wes go watch the movies